This is the Same Jesus Podcast, a conversation between a pastor, a theologian, and their guests excavating what it means to follow Jesus in the context of a movement known as the Foursquare Church. In this first season, A.J. Swoboda, Russell Joyce, and all their guests will discuss the identity and values that have been the ethos of Foursquare for the past 100 years. You're listening to the final episode of the first season of the Same Jesus Podcast. We are in our final mm. episode of this first season. Can you hear the sound of the tears? On I do. In, not only in my eyes, but our our audience. That you just can hear the tears. They hear the tears. Raindrops. 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 Yes. You know, it, it is though. It hasn't been a joy. It, I'm, it, I'm it really funny. has. Yeah. It's been an absolute no, absolutely, joy, an absolute blast. It's been so much fun. And it's it's tough. I mean, how do you do endings? How do you do endings? Yeah. There's there's so much we can say. Here's what I want to start with. As I was thinking about my experience with Foursquare. I, I stumbled into a Foursquare church in high school, had no idea it was Foursquare, mm-hmm. not an uncommon story. But they talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. They loved me really well. Mm-hmm. They discipled me. They did all the things we're talking about, yep. though I had no idea what those things were. I planted a church with Foursquare. And then after doing some research, realized, wow, I actually am this movement. Mm-hmm. This movement has something really special to offer the world. And I think something really special to offer the church. But our movement, like all of them, has some beautiful things and some shadow sides. Yeah. And I want to end with both of them, both of that. So consider this. Amy died of an overdose, an accidental Mm -hmm. overdose. She literally worked herself to death. Yes. She talks quite openly about not resting I'm sure some of our listeners are aware of the infamous, was she kidnapped? Mm. Did she run away story? Which my personal take is she ran away. She was exhausted. She was trying to get out. Obviously we don't know. That's my personal take. But she she burnt out and she overdosed on sleeping pills because she was so exhausted. And here's something that when they tell the story of her funeral, there were thousands. I forget the exact number. But like, I don't know if there have been more flowers bought for a funeral Mm. or bought for any event than Amy's funeral. People, just thousands upon thousands of people came with flowers for her. And so many people walking by her casket said something along the lines with tears, literal tears in their eyes. This woman changed my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Thousands. Two people who were not at her funeral. Yeah, Her mother and her daughter. Mm. She had fired her mother. Her mother was her business manager, but she had fired her mother a couple of years before. And I think if I remember correctly, her daughter was trying to get back, but there had been some estrangement. There had been some difficulty. And I think even in that, there's something that's so foursquare that we do such work for the kingdom, for the masses. And sometimes in that, we miss those who are closest to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is something in that, that that I pray, and I know that's something you've given a lot of your time and, and theological work toward the idea of Sabbath, but just this idea of, of not missing those who are closest to us yes. as we're doing the work of God, that, that, that we are the work of God, that God is not asking us to sacrifice our families on the altar of ministry. Yeah, yeah. It's the story, Christian history. I mean, Time and time and time again, Russell, we can look at forebears who have gone before us who this same account is, is repeated over and over. History repeats itself over and over and over again. I think, for example, of 
among others, I think of John Wesley, who, yeah. you know, it's estimated rode on horseback somewhere around 250,000 miles yeah. and was so committed to ministry that he actually found out his wife died by reading the morning newspaper. Yeah. And he eventually, you know, down the road would actually grieve, openly lament that he had put his family on the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I work with a lot of pastor kids and kids that are, are you know, have parents in our movement. And, you know, may, may it be about Foursquare that we, we don't believe in child sacrifice, right. that right. We, we don't practice child sacrifice, that, we, that we, we want to capture the best of Amy, right. but simultaneously learn the lessons. Right. If she paid the tuition, why shouldn't we get the credit? Right. Let's, right. Let's, let's learn from those experiences. Right, totally. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, Jesus does say, whoever leaves father, mother, brother, yeah, sister, yeah. you know, like that. But that's taken, often that's interpreted in an unhealthy way. Mm. Oh my um, gosh. In, in, in oh. a really incorrect way. It's, it's, it's not, the alternative is not that our lives revolve around our children. No. But no, it's no, that no. our family's life yes. working together revolves around right, Jesus. Jesus. Absolutely. And there's a difference yes. there between those yeah, two. Yeah. Absolutely. So there is work to do. There is shadow sides in our movement. Of, of not missing those closest to us. But here's another. Can I just say, it yeah. just once again, yeah. we started this podcast however long ago it was in episode one by saying that we are a movement that is willing to go to the shadow side yeah. and talk about it yeah. and, and get into it and not pretend it doesn't exist. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Well, yeah, good. So that is there. Here's another thing that's, that's interesting that I want to draw at our conclusion. Constantly throughout Amy's ministry, constantly she faced the charge from reporters that when she dies, Foursquare dies. Yes, right. Constantly. Right, 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 right. Everyone said, this isn't real. There's no power of God here. This is McPhersonism. Yes. Right? That's, That's what they call it. They used, yep. yeah. This is a cult of celebrity. This yeah. is all personality, all of it. And when she died, they were all wrong. This movement continued to grow. And it grow, grew quickly. And it grew well. And I do think it shows that there was something of the anointing of God, of the empowerment of God that uses broken people, uses complex people. Hey, for anyone who's read their Bibles, that's not new. (laughs) That's not new. That's absolutely right. That uses complex people, mysterious people that we can't put into rigid boxes that we understand for his glory. Yeah. And I think there's something special in that. As we think back to the eight episodes we've done, Mm -hmm. there's so much more that could be said. If you had to distill down even your heart of being a part of Foursquare, what would you say? Like, why are you Foursquare? Mm. Why are you still Foursquare? Why, yeah. why are you yeah. doing a podcast like this? Yeah. I would say the, the one thing I'm going to walk away from this, I think, I think that the one thing I'd walk away from this eight, 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 eight episodes is feeling a sense of, I remember the moment I first saw the Grand Canyon and there's a difference between seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon and seeing the Grand Canyon. You mm. sort of, there's an awe that yeah. comes with, with the Grand Canyon. And I feel a renewed sense of appreciation for just how big our movement is. And I don't mean big size. Yeah. I just mean, I mean, we've heard stories from people. I just didn't even know their yeah. stories. Yeah. And, and to, to know that our movement represents such a broad section of the body of Christ right. 
it inspires me. Yeah. And it also reminds me that we are a small part of a really big story. Yeah. And that we are not the kingdom. Yeah. We're part of the kingdom. Yeah. And yeah. we get to Praise play God. our role. Praise God. Um, but we are, you know, part of a big story. Yeah. And I would say I am still foursquare. You know, I I jokingly tell people. I accepted Amy Semple into my heart years ago. I'm, of course, joking when I of say course. that. I, I love Jesus. But, um, but for anyone but who's I, wondering, AJ loves Jesus. I love Jesus. But I mean, why am I continuing to be a part of this movement? And I, I can't tell you that it's because I believe we've got the best articles of faith. Mm-hmm. It's not because I believe that my, my, my pastor is the best pastor in Foursquare. I'm sitting with him right here. I can't say it's because I get most of my opportunities in Foursquare. I'm in Foursquare because my mothers and fathers in the faith who taught me how to follow Jesus are in this movement. Yeah. And I, I heard years ago somebody say, uh, you serve wherever you're saved. Yeah. You serve where you're saved. And this is the community that has taught me how to follow the way of Jesus. Yeah. And I want to bring some people along with me. Yeah. And just to add on to that, you know, and I could answer that question a lot of ways myself too. I don't know if you remember this. When I was given the gift of tongues. Yeah, I remember that day very much. was on your back porch yeah. on the oh. day of Pentecost when I was an intern at Theophilus Church in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And I remember you and Quinn praying with me, mm. Quinn, your wife. And, and I said, I don't wanna be cynical about the Holy Spirit anymore. Mm. I actually want the fullness of the Spirit and the gentleness of the Spirit. I was asking for moderation. I wanted a moderate, yeah gospel, but I wanted Jesus at the center. I wanted to be a part of a people that empowered the marginalized, that actually made room for those who are different, that that weren't a homogenous group. I wanted to be a part of a movement that said the gospel and salvation was not just us being made right with God, though that is everything, but also now us carrying that to make the neighborhood right, to be a part of how God is making the neighborhood right. I want to be a part of a movement that empowers every man, woman, and child to live out of the fullness of what God has put in them for the sake of the nations, for the sake of the world. Is Foursquare perfect? Absolutely not. But am I proud that I think Foursquare aspires to all those things that's in its DNA and that's what we're going after? Yeah, I do. And uh, I'm really excited for this last conversation Yeah, because we're bringing on two men who have been kind of father figures for us and our movement, uh, the president, the current president of our movement, Randy, Randy Remington. Remington. Uh, and before that was the senior pastor of Beaverton Foursquare mm-hmm. and Keith Jenkins, absolutely, who's the senior pastor of East Hill. Yeah, yep. yep. And has, has been all over the place. And, and even I love that because they have such a, I was going to say a sweet friendship. Yes. They just have a really sweet yeah. friendship that, uh, that epitomizes so much of what we hope this movement is and can yeah. be. So let's so, get to that conversation. Let's, let's listen well, we've, we've had in the first season, we've been looking at kind of some of the identity markers of our movement, and it's been an absolute joy to have these conversations, but it, it's a fitting ending to have an opportunity to talk with Pastor Keith Jenkins, who's one of our, our greatest, our finest, as it were, pastors in the movement, and as well, our president, uh, Randy Remington. And we're, we're going to kind of dialogue a little bit with you as we conclude this season. And actually, Pastor Randy, I want to I want to I want to just start with you. First of all, thank you for all that you've done for a movement who you are, for being the leader that you are. And actually just on a really personal level. You know, there there's 45,000 denominations in, in in the world in the global Protestantism. And you 
Is there really that many? 45,000. Yep. Well, I 45, thought you totally wow. were exaggerating. No, no, no. 45,000 wow. denominations. Yeah. Wow. And it's, you're here intentionally. Will you tell us what was the moment when you realized, like, I'm Foursquare. This is my family. This is, this is, this is my people. Yeah, I'll try to give you the really short version. I can tell you the exact moment. I was sitting in a service at Beaverton Foursquare Church as a 22-year-old youth pastor in an independent, non-denominational church. And I heard Ron Mel preaching, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, I, I want you to love Jesus like I love Jesus. I want you to know Jesus like I love, know Jesus. And I turned to this young lady who was the reason why I was at the church. I wanted to get to know Sandy Wright better. And so I came, I came, to, came to the church. We had met at a camp I was speaking at the week before, and she was on staff at the Beaverton Church. And, and for I those just, who don't know, Sandy is your wife. My current wife. Yes. My only current wife. wife. <laughs> <laughs> the only wife I've ever had in uh, uh, 35 years. And so I, I literally leaned over to her and I said, if this is what Foursquare is, I'm going to be this. I'm, I'm this. And literally, I felt like an, an orphan or a solitary had been placed in a family, as the scripture says. God takes a solitary and he puts them in a family. And I felt like it was a sovereign sense of placement. And what I resonated with was this a really a Christocentric or really Jesus-centered life and passion. And everything was deeply rooted in intimacy with him from what my early exposure to Foursquare was anyway. And I found that to be consistently true, that I wanted to be with the people who loved Jesus like that, that was like the spiritual yes. root system of intimacy with Jesus. And then out of it flowed a humility in relationship with others and in walking with others. So this, this core identity, I love Jesus, and then out of it, this, this humility before others that was, was my first exposure to Foursquare people anyway, leaders. Mm. So I was exposed to Foursquare pastors and, and leaders before I was really exposed to the movement yeah. um, as a whole yeah. or its history or its story yeah. or even the organizational aspects of it. So you, yeah. you, you were, you belonged before you understood it. I mean, it was like, it was like a family that embraced you before it made sense. In mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Keith, Keith, answer the same question. Can you remember the moment? Yeah. Pretty, yeah. 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 Pretty similar. I had um, I was part of an independent church in uh, Eugene, Oregon at the time, and you know read the Bible and was in the Marine Corps, and so there was always a chain of command, and there was always people and part of a team yeah. doing something bigger than yourselves. And so as the church grew, we started having desires of wanting to be a part of something other than just ourselves, and wanted to be a part of a bigger family, a larger movement, and. Quite the same as Randy, the relationships preceded the understanding for me. The relationships preceded the understanding of the organization yes. of Foursquare, which which came later, and that was through the vehicle, relational vehicle of Wayne Cadero and Robert and Dee Dee Flores. And so Wayne has deep roots, as as we all know, in Eugene, Oregon. And I had a lady in our church that connected us, went to a pastoral. Uh, he used to have those uh, gatherings for pastors in Hawaii. And was able to attend a couple and develop a relationship. And every time he was in Eugene, he would invite me to come and do devotions and have coffee. And I met Gabe Barrero. I met Sean McCartan, Steve Overman, all of these brothers. 
And they, we were an independent church and they just came around us. And so when we began to really inquire about who we should be with, it was a no brainer. My wife and I both just looked at each other and like, they've always treated us like family. It was always this, this close koinonia and fellowship with people that just invited us into who they were. And I remember Steve Overman saying this, was, which was quite different. We won't name the other movements we were inquiring about. <laughs> but Steve Overman said, he said something very special that touched Coco's and our heart about this, about this move to Foursquare. He said to us, he made us feel as though, and the words he used is it's like another warrior coming into the camp. We're going to be stronger because you and Coco came. Mm. And the other movements we were inquiring about was like, yeah, you need to be with us because we're this and that. Right. And Steve mm. made us feel like, hey, there's value. There's 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 something about you that you can impart and bring. And we see you as a gift. And I've carried that with me and try to communicate that with anybody that I feel like is inquiring and want to be a part of our family that, hey, we'll be stronger because of you. It's shocking. I mean, we're, we're listening to the two of you tell this story. We've been having other interviews and other totally. conversations. Same. You would be shocked. Yeah. I have never once met or heard a story of somebody who said this. You know, I went on Foursquare and I read the doctrine and I decided I'm in. That's never right. happened. It is, it, mm -hmm. we are, I feel like more than anything, we're a befriending movement. For sure. A kingdom relationships mm. is one of our values. It's one of our global distinctives mm -hmm. that we, mm -hmm. the currency of the kingdom is relationships. And I actually want to draw our attention to something. Randy okay. used the word, and we've said this in other episodes. This is overgeneralization, but I feel like in Foursquare, I'm noticing there's two types of people. One, the fourth generation Foursquarean. You know what I mean? Like their great great grandmother yeah. was on the revival <laughs> yeah. circuit. We know the Amy. last names. Exactly. They're, yeah, they're, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yes. two, all like all four of us, kind of spiritual mutts who are orphans yeah. and brought into the movement. I mean, I got a little, yeah. I got a little Methodism, a little Baptist in yes. me. I got a little bit of everything. What what is it? And Keith, you kind of answer, but to both you guys, what is it about? And maybe it is we just lead with relationship. But what is it about our movement? About sort of how Jesus has made us that we welcome the orphan, so to speak. Mm. Or, or mm. we welcome the independent. I don't or know, it's both of you guys, yeah. it's the same kind of story. Like, why is that? Yeah, I think, I think we're at our best when we recognize our need for one another. I think Keith yeah. expressed a leader saying, we need you. And, yeah. and I think whenever you find a, an extension of, grace like that where somebody's reaching to you and inviting yeah. you into a relationship not into a structure and not into a polity and not into it but you're you're invited into relationship it it really is the kingdom is really all about our relationship with god and our relationship with each other as the family of god and then how in the context of that relationship we reach a world around us so I think it's at the core of what the kingdom is all about is relationships. So I think there's a grace and an anointing on people that will put relationship at the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Now, I think we do that intuitively and naturally because we've had so many of our key leaders model that. We want that to be more than a strategy. And we want, because people can feel if this is an agenda, like I'm, this is a strategy. Right. And just, we're trying to grow Sales our movement. And you're a means yeah. on, yeah, you're a means unto an end of us building this thing right. versus. I, somebody, you know, I've received, I'm a recipient and now I'm going to 
give as I've received, you know, that there's something about just inviting people into relationship. And then out of that comes partnership and shared mission together. Yeah, I I think, you know, that's a great question and great observation. I think maybe it it could be something, you know, I'll submit this to you guys. Maybe it is the sense that our movement was birthed out of a family, out of Mm. this sense of, of a woman, her son, Ralph, you know, carrying on this legacy in the best sense of the word family, that there's something about being included in a table set. In my grandmother's house, there was, and I use this as a metaphor for everything, in my grandmother's house, she always had an extra seat hmm. for whoever yeah. would come to the house. She always had a pot of something on the stove, by the way, leftovers that made this <laughs> wonderful meal. And then she would always invite and be willing to invite somebody at the table. And so it felt like, that's how it felt in its ethos, for me as an independent pastor to be welcome to the table. And and I've never told this story publicly, but we were 50 members in our church strong in a storefront. And Steve Overman invited us over, invited me over to have lunch. He had lunch brought in. And I'm like, I mean, it's downtown Faith Center. It's one of the largest churches in town. And I'm this young, you know, 30-year-old pastor with 50 whole living souls in the building. And this guy invites me in, has lunch, and is so gracious and just says, hey, anything you need, sent me a hundred chairs. And just, I wasn't in the movement. I wasn't a part, but it made me feel like grandma, like I'm being invited to the table and somebody cares about me, you know? Can I psychoanalyze this for a second? And you guys tell me if I'm, you know, absolutely crazy. Amy, she was an immigrant. She was female. She represented a lot of different marginalized identities. She knows what it was like to feel like you don't belong. Yes. Is there something in that? Something even in our core DNA? I mean, you look at the history of Angela's Temple, the Great Depression. You look at the thousands upon thousands of people who came to her funeral and said she changed Mm. my life. There's something. Is there something in our DNA that like we know what it's like because our founder knew what it's like to be marginalized, to be an outsider, that we don't want others to feel that way? Wow. Is there something in that? Well, I just think, I think on a family system cycle, like hurt people, hurt people. I don't, I've heard that a billion times, but the opposite's the case. Adopted people adopt people. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's almost. Yeah. 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 I've never thought of it from a family system side though. Uh, Yeah. What do you think? I mean, Hmm. fascinating. I mean, from a family systems position for me, because we always joke, Coco and I joke sometimes, and this is not a theological statement. It's just the fact that we've been brought into the family. We always say that we're like a third of a square because, you know, we didn't <laughs> we didn't have all of the background and, you know, we didn't come from Amy's tree. But at the same time, there's this sense of, of, of connection, shared life together in Christ that we've been adopted into so and being somebody that that personally in my own life didn't have good family structure yeah something about this idea and and communicated to us this family of foursquare and you're part of our family now like every other family we've got our stuff we got to work through it but i was grateful to be a part of of our family and welcomed in as such and i think what makes our family thrive like any family? And I know you can overcook that metaphor of the family, but it is probably one of the best images that we've been given in the New Testament of what we've been called into in terms of the kingdom relationships. You know, when Jesus said, I say you are brothers, you know, mm-hmm. he literally says that, you know, yeah. 
you're not ladder climbers, you're not position seekers. I say yeah. to you, you are brothers, you know, and made it very egalitarian in that sense. But I, I think that what makes families thrive, and maybe this is a, a word of warning to us or caution, even as if we think of our terms in terms of life in this relational context, is that wherever you become transactional in relationships, mm-hmm. Because we always think of, we always say, I, this is what I've heard all the time when I was new in this role now, which seems like a long time ago, <laughs> about three years ago, and you know, counting in dog years here. But, the, the, but, but it's like four square, and it would be this thing out there, like yes. four square. Right. And yeah. I, I wanted to get a t-shirt printed up that said, we are they, you yeah. know, it's like, we're, but wait a second, we're, we're four square. And and if Foursquare becomes this thing about this is human, this is us, it's not this this thing out here, this thing in LA, but this is us. Right. And and we thrive when I when I bring to give to the family any relationship where I'm taking, you know, it's or, or like what what can you do for me right. where it's transactional? Right. Like it we always are diminished. We always miss out on, but it's in marriage, it's in parenting or any other close relationships we have, wherever I come to bring and I give, I give myself selflessly and sacrificially. I always receive in the giving. It's in the giving that you receive. But to come and say, I'm going to add to the family and not take, there's something where we flourish in that sense where I'm not sitting around waiting for my phone to ring and me to be noticed, but it's like, I give what I got. You know, like I'm going to open my door and I'm going to reach Right. to the person next to me. And I'm That's going to right. bring it and invite in and take, take that ownership. Cause there's a grace and anointing on us for that. Man. That's so well said. That's well said. You know, maybe to take it to a, a, a pretty vulnerable a point in this conversation, we we're, we're talking about family systems and speaking about a denomination as a family and a movement as a family. I think it has a beautiful, there can be beautiful truth to that reality, but it also can bring this pain. I, I think of us a couple of seasons of my own life when a, a point of healing was getting into a therapist's office and getting into my family story and understanding why I am the way I am. I, I, re- I always remember Pete Scazzaro, who I know has big, had a big impact on you, Russell. He always says, you can, you can have Jesus in your heart, but you've got grandpa in your bones that, that we've all got, you know, our, our family history has affected us. When the two of you look at our movement now at a hundred years without being in any way, shape or form, harsh or mean or mean spirited, but looking honestly at our movement in the next few, you know, next few years, few decades, what are just some family system things that we need to be thoughtful about that? We just need to be mindful of to grow in maybe some, some, I don't want to say skeletons in our closet, but if we are a family moving forwards, how is the Holy spirit going to sanctify our movement in the next couple decades? Yeah. Randy, you want to touch that or you want me to touch on it first? You go ahead. Um, you know, I think it's the same tension that I'm having in the local church that we're having in our national church and having to grow is we are a family, right? Like we want every local church to feel to be a small microcosm of the whole. It's like we want to be family, brothers and sisters. And at the same time, I have tension because we're an organization, too. And now as a large church, I have to transition family members on and off staff with various reasons. And so, you know, the more, the more that we lean into the family, the less organizational we become and back and forth. Uh, And some of those, some of those things are really a challenge at times because as a family, you close ranks and protect one another. Right. 
And then we're an organization that has to have policies, procedures, and we have to adjudicate things appropriate ways. And there are victims and perpetrators and our human brokenness is mixed up into all of those relationships. And so it is so difficult. And I've, I've watched over the last 20 or so years being a part of force, that sounds weird. I didn't realize it had been that long. I've watched us sort of come away from being a family run, more corporate, more systems, countermeasures in our finances. We went through some things financially with different presidents and, and watching us organizationally have to clean up some of those things and then be very precise and laser focused missionally as a group as well. And it's all of these different spheres impacting one another. We want to keep our relationships together, and yet we have these corporate responsibilities. And it's just a very, I'm not sure I have an answer for it, as much as I understand the complexity of the challenge in all of these relationships. And and I really... I really will never want to be president like Randy. <laughs> well, well, Scazzaro talks a lot about dual roles and managing dual relationships. And when we're young in, in pastoral ministry, we don't do that well. How do we be someone's pastor and their friend and their boss? Oh, but that's yeah. like emotional maturity is to manage the dual relationships you're in. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why some people struggle with the family metaphor, because it usually implies that we can't make hard decisions yes. in leadership that affect right. people's lives. And, yeah. but we know that in nobody can hurt you like family can hurt you. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. That's, you know, and no one can heal you like family can Absolutely. heal you. But I, I think for me, as I think down the road, you know, we are a movement filled with fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. I mean, we, we have the richness of fathers and mothers in in the Lord that I think is an untapped potential for us. And, this is why we say you're not aging out in this family. We need you, you know, to your last breath. And there's a there's a vital contribution for you to still make in the family. Even as we raise up those around us and hand off and change seats at the table, the fact is we're we're still needed. And so when I think down the road, I want them to maybe not let I'm thinking about legacy. I that never honestly enters my mind. I think it would just be faithful to Jesus. He he takes care of whatever legacy there there needs to be. But that that I know that it's possible that we we are the beneficiaries of the the wise and prudent and faithful, fruitful ministry of those that have gone before us. And the, the classic, we're living in houses we didn't build and eating from vineyards we didn't plant. And we stand on the shoulders of the God. And we know all of that is true. We also know that the reality is sometimes we pay for the sins of our fathers too. It, you know, and it's kind of like, can there be a, can, you know, my hope is that there's not a lot of debt down the road that's going to have to be paid for my era of, of stewardship and leadership um, in this season. And so I think in terms of that, how can we be clean in, in, in every way? Can there be integrity in every way of motive, of intent, of actual, uh, how, we, how we lived? And was there congruency between what we said and who we really are and what we lived? And that, that, that there's no incongruency behind all of that. So that what we're bequeathing to the next generation right. is nothing perfect. We're not saying we're perfect leaders, but it's, it's more about stewarding now their moment and their generation, yep. what they've been handed to carry on forward. And that, that each generation gets to keep getting, my, my mom and dad were the first Christians in their family. They got saved and 
they broke some things in their family. Um, I'm the beneficiary of that. My boys are the beneficiary of my parents' faith, but but there were things they didn't know that they would do different if they could. And, and so, and vice versa, but hopefully we keep handing off a, a faith that is really just as pure and like Jesus as it can be. And, you know, I'm thinking of Abram, you know, when he was given a promise, you'll have a land and you'll have offspring too great to count. And at his death, he had one biological offspring and he had a cave and he had a cave. He bought a cave to bury his wife in, yes. you know, yes, yeah. but it was like, Wait a second, you, you're going to have offspring too numerous account, and you're going to have a land, and he has a cave and one son. But it was enough for the next generation to build on. That's awesome. You know, much like, unlike, unlike Hezekiah, where, you know, he got the word that, you know, your sons are going to be eunuchs and carried off into captivity. He's like, oh, well, at least it's good for me. You know, all's well with me. He had no concern or care about the next generations yeah. to come. And it's like, I'm thinking, we just, in faith, do we believe unto something that's perpetual for the coming generations. And, yeah. and, and I'd love to maybe end with this question for both you guys, because a couple themes are ro- rolling around in my mind. Keith, you talked about how Steve Overman said to you, hey, don't come be a part of us, but like we have something to learn from you, you know? And, and that's a yeah. thing we've seen, this idea of empowerment, that it's that we yeah. are richer mm-hmm. when we all bring something to the table. And I think as we are talking about you know, perhaps there is something in our spiritual genogram of Amy and our, our history of like welcoming the marginalized, bringing those who mm. feel like they don't belong into the family and saying, you actually have a role and you have a purpose and we have, you have something that God has given you that we need. This podcast, yeah. we hope a lot of people listen to it and get clearer that we all get clear on like who we are as Foursquare. But specifically, you know, as I've thought and prayed about this podcast, I'm thinking about the next generation. I'm thinking yeah. about, we joked, young Russell, who got mm. the first check for Hope Brooklyn and had no idea who, who Foursquare was or what it meant. And he had to, it was this moment of, what is Foursquare? Am I going to be a part of Foursquare? I'm thinking about the youth pastors and the young leaders and the next generation hearing this podcast. Maybe they're a part of a Foursquare church or they're leading and they're like, what is Foursquare? Am I going to be a part? What would you guys say, almost as spiritual fathers, as you think about the next generations to come, I know, Randy, you said you don't think about legacy, but just for a moment, as you, as you, if you could speak to the next generation of, as they're prayerfully considering, are they going to be a part of this family, this movement? What would you say to them? I would say, I would echo what, what Keith said, and I, and I want to say it with sincerity of, of motive and not as strategy, but if you're discerning that Jesus is planting you in this family, it's, it's, by, it's because of what you're going to receive and what you're going to bring. There's, there's something for you to receive, and then there's something for you to give. And so there is a symbiotic nature to these um, family relationships. We need you. We want you. And you need us. And right. there has to be a right. sense of interdependence in that to guard against transaction or to guard against the sense that I'm just being used and taken advantage of and people are predatory in my life, just taking from me. But there is something to give and there is something to receive. I I think if we, there's humility that's required for, for that to happen, but, but we grow in the context of our relationships. That's where discipleship happens. That's where spiritual transformation happens. Um, But at the core, I would say, because I, I believe this to be true the more I'm in this role. I'm humbled by what I see in our family. I, I'm, I'm 
this is not a perfect family. I mean, we've got our we've got our flaws and dysfunctions that we're working on, and Jesus is working on, and we're growing, and we've we've got that we've been very fruitful. And there's a hundred years should Jesus tarry ahead of us. But I I think at the core is this love for Jesus and wanting other people to know Jesus and love Jesus. Because you know, you go to you go to Revelation two and the church at Ephesus, which probably we could make a case for in the New Testament experience, the greatest revival beyond Antioch or what happened in Jerusalem. We know that what happened at Ephesus was a revival unlike any other. It was a revival culture. And yet Jesus rebuked them because you're increasing in ministry, but you're decreasing in your love for me. Yes. And this intimacy with me that produced this fruitfulness, all this spiritual offspring is now a consuming focus for you. And it's coming at the expense of the intimacy that produced it in the first place. So I want you back. And he rebukes them and he tells yeah. them to, he tells them to repent and, and come back. Because if I don't have that narrative that I love Jesus and Jesus loves me, then I will be bored. I will become bitter. I will become discouraged. I'll become, you know, a sense of being used or whatever. But I can experience promotion or discouragement and, and times of um, opposition and not, and not be thrown sideways. Because I know that at the core of my identity is I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And out of that, I can hold everything like this. I never wanted to serve in these roles. Um, But yet if I hold like this and Jesus says, well, today I'm going to put you here and I want you to serve me here. And if tomorrow Jesus says, I want you to be a junior high youth pastor in Salem, Oregon, I'll be a junior high youth Mm. pastor in Salem, Oregon. Because at the core... What defines me yeah. is I love Jesus. And that's what I see in Amy. The anything yeah. I've read about her, she she even believed that the this power of the spirit in her life was primarily to help her keep her eyes fixed on Jesus and to love Jesus with everything she had. And then as a result, to have a white heart, heart hot passion for souls. So yeah. Yeah. As a, I mean, to finalize what you said, as far as I think, when I look out 20 years from now, thinking of the legacy, the footprints that I've left behind, um, I, I actually want to leave like I started. I want to leave. Uh, in the way that Wayne led me and encouraged me and inspired me and Steve resourced me as well. I think as, as if I look back when I was 30 years old, when I first got into ministry, I just started, I had so many questions, so many insecurities. I was, I had vision and passion, no wisdom, no understanding of people <laughs> or anything. And, and to sit down with Steve Overman and Wayne Cadero and have them tell me, that I was a good leader and that God's going to use me and reinforce me, inspire, encourage, and lift me up. I want to be a father in the faith. You know, sometimes you got fathers that are trying to vicariously live through their children's exploits. I just want to fan their flame. I want to inspire them, encourage them. And I believe that the, that the next 20 years, if I can tarry, if I'm still alive, it would be, you know what a great legacy would be? You know, we celebrated Jack's legacy just recently, you know, and, and all that he meant to the body of Christ, much less our movement, is to be able to have people on that day say, man, that guy was encouraging. He inspired me. I was able to make a turn and pivot and do some great things for the Lord, but it was good to have somebody in my corner. And, and that's what I would love for our movement to be known for yes, yes. more broadly, that we encourage, inspire, lift up one another and make room and empower the next generation generation and release them to do great things and applaud you know, them and cheer them on as they run their leg of the race. And so I think we're positioning ourselves for that. Yeah. Not only not, not only just one gen, multi-generationally, multi-ethnic, uh, gender-wise, I, I see so much 
of what we've aspired to be and prayed to be now beginning to come to fruition and, and may the next 20 years and Randy and I'll be old men and you guys will be on the podcast with somebody else. And it'll be great. Well, that God I, 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 for another hundred years. I, I can't help but, but just say, you know, of, of all 45,000 denominations, you chose the right one. And it's a joy to serve Jesus with you. Thank you for the work that the two of you do. And uh, to the next 100 years, may God be faithful Thanks, to brother. continue Thanks, to lead us and guide us. Yeah. Thanks for all that you do. I'm kind of, I'm, we're sitting here now, Russell, having, having done this season, and I'm finding myself kind of getting a little emotional thinking about what, what this movement has meant to me. Yeah. I think like anybody in our movement, there's parts of Foursquare that drive me mad, that, that I just can't, that, that are, that's hard for me. And then I look back over our movement and I think about key moments where I was, I was fathered and yeah. I was loved. This, this year I, I went for, for, for four straight days, three, it was actually three and a half straight days to this intensive therapy session where I got into my, my childhood. And one of the distinctive elements of what I learned about my story is a lot of trauma and pain around my dad not being in the room. Yeah. And I, it, it had never dawned on me until I was reflecting on my conversion story when I heard the gospel for the first time. And it was after hearing the idea that Jesus was going to come back. And it dawned on me sitting in this therapy session that, that part of my desire to follow Jesus was the idea that my dad was going to come back, that my father was going to return. And I look over the story that I have in Foursquare so many times of having men in my life who have played a proxy role. And I don't want to make it sound like this is a, a cult. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say like we're a fathering movement. There's a whole term. That's not what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah. But I think about this, this community as it has in many ways played the role that my dad didn't. Like any family, I, I, I'm grateful for who we are. And I'm simultaneously, I grieve some of the, the difficulties that it's created for all of us. Yeah. But I stand with great gratefulness to God yeah. for what this movement has been to me. Thank God that, God that he moved a woman's heart 100 years ago to create a movement that would affect a guy in Oregon 100 years later. I mean, that's just what a miracle. Yeah. Yeah, there is something even as uh, Randy and Keith were talking about, there's a grace in our movement to see the outsider. We see the outsider and it probably has something to do with the yeah. fact that Amy was an outsider. Yeah. She immigrated to the U.S. She was a woman in leadership. She took so much flack from male pastors in her day. Like she saw the outsider. There's something, there's a grace in our movement to see those who don't belong and say, hey, Let's, let's follow Jesus together. You know, as I was thinking about how to conclude this season, because I mean, this is the last episode. Yeah. I found this, this line in one of the, the biographies of Amy synthesizing her theology and synthesizing her call. And I think it even speaks to if Foursquare could synthesize our movement and our call. This might, I humbly suggest these words for us. This is what she said in Sunset Magazine, 1927. She says, it is so simple, so very simple. Believing the story of Jesus, 
believing that the way to salvation is only through him, I have been compelled by my faith and belief for 18 years to send the message of his undying love from the pulpit, intent, tabernacle, and over the radio to every ear that could be induced to listen. Mm. When you think about the heart of Amy and you think about the heart of Foursquare and you think about what, what our president just shared, at root, we're people who love Jesus. Yes. I mean, that's what we, we, we were adopted by Jesus. We love Jesus mm-hmm. and we want to continue loving him yeah. and inviting people into that. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, one of the first extra biblical references we have about Christians comes from him. Mm-hmm. And the way he described the Christians, paraphrased, is those who loved Jesus while he was alive mm-hmm. and they refuse to forsake him after yeah. his death. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, I'll close with this. I mean, that quote is just, just so beautiful. The, the Romans, this is graphic, but the Romans in the, in the first century had a practice with babies that were unwanted. Uh, it was called exposure, where they would take unwanted babies and yep. they would put them outside the city. And these, you know, these babies would be, would be put out to die. It was ancient abortion. Yeah, it was, it was essentially a way of, of, of taking the unwanteds and throwing them out. And all of the earliest uh, sources that point to exposure indicate that the Christians were the first people group to go out and rescue the exposed kids. And there is just a little bit of that. There is something about that in our movement of taking the exposed and saying, um, come and find a family and, and, and be welcomed here. What a great first season. Russell. I've learned, frankly, I've learned, (laughs) I've learned more than probably anybody else has. And doing this, I feel like getting to sit in the front row and watch it's been an absolute joy. I can't wait to see what's going to come. Yeah. I'm proud to be part of this movement with you. Yeah. It's the same Jesus, Russell. It is not. It is the start of this season and the end of the season. He is all seasons. The same. And let's keep putting that (laughs) verse up. And, and because it's true. Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Slap the verse. Amen and amen. And Jesus, come back soon. Would you please? Aranatha. Amen and amen. Thanks, guys. Join the conversation and follow along on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify today. Make sure to subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on new episode releases and resources. And we'd love for you to share this conversation with all your friends and family. Thanks. Until next time. We will continue to rest in the fact that Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forever.